0: So good to be here again tonight, and th- uh, thank you for braving the uh, the snow. I, it, I had to shovel my driveway real quick, um, getting out the door. Just I, I couldn't believe that they, they were making me do that again. They, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about who they is. Um, now I find optical illusions to be interesting, don't you? I mean, I don't know. I'm always fascinated with optical illusions. Um, to me, they, they, I, I I think of the um, uh, some of the famous illusions. You know, the the never-ending stairway. I, I, Anybody ever look at that one? You know, it's just that one that just keep, you keep going around, and every, every, all the way around the, draw, the, the painting, you just keep going up or down. And, uh, uh, and, and I'm just like, that's such a, a weird thing. And, I'm, and my mind's always trying to figure that out. Now, how did they do that? Or the, uh, uh, the old, old or young woman. You know the one where, if you look at it one way, it's an old lady. and If it's not, otherwise, a beautiful young lady. And uh, why do we use beautiful for young ladies and not so for older ladies? I don't know. That's another story. And then, um, and then there's the, uh, the, the, the ones that you look at, and they appear to be moving, and they're not. And that's just really weird to me. I keep looking at, no, you know, state. You know, I want it to stop. Don't move. And, uh, and I try to adjust my eyes to make sure it doesn't do that, and, and it keeps on moving. And uh, I love optical illusions. I think they're interesting. Now, we often interpret what we see according to our expectations. Um, we run into a, a doctor, our doctor. At a fast food restaurant, we're like, no, that, that's not quite right. Um, or, or we we run into our auto mechanic at a classical music concert. Say, Wait a minute, is that is that? You know, this is the guy that's wrestling with the wrenches, and um, or we run into a friend from California in downtown Syracuse, and, and it takes us a while to figure out. Well, I know that person. Where'd he come from? You know. Um, the tendency is to interpret faith issues by expectations, right? If you were born into a Muslim family, or a Buddhist family, or even a Christian family, you tend to interpret uh, life and its core issues from that perspective. Now, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of scary for me to say that, Because you're like, oh, wait a minute now. There's truth and there's not truth. But that's what we expect. uh, To confront those expectations with something that lies outside of our understanding, our basic interpretation, is is to throw us into a crisis, right? Whether we're Christian, whether we're Buddhist, or whether we're Muslim, or whether we're something else, that throws us into a crisis. say, oh, no, that wasn't what I was expecting, Now, you might be a little nervous right now, and that's okay. I don't mind if you're a little nervous. Is this guy a heretic? Probably. No, he's not. In today's passage, the disciples' world has been rocked. You've got to understand what was happening here in the book of Acts, and we're going to get there in just a moment, so go ahead and find Acts chapter 6 and 7. I have just a short passage to deal with today. It's 68 verses, okay? You laugh, but it's true, all right? So, and Jesus did not set up an earthly kingdom as all it expected. Remember, all his disciples were like, they're ready. They're ready for the kingdom to be ushered in. Are we going to sit at your right hand, your left hand? All those good questions they're asking. And their world has been rocked. That was not what they were expecting. It's also not what the Jewish leaders were expecting. The Jewish leaders are... are, um, are facing some different kind of kind of situation now. Now, keep in mind, Stephen, now a follower of the risen Christ, Stephen, now a follower of the risen of the risen Christ, faces escalating attacks from the religious establishment. You know, so Stephen himself, one of the disciples, I mean, he was just a, a deacon, right? Uh, he, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But but the, the, he's he's facing. Uh, all these attacks from the relig- religious establishment the jewish leaders are experiencing increased activity of bull bold- and boldness out of the christians the followers of jesus tensions are rising in their problem here their problem the teachings of jesus and now his followers they don't fit into their preconceived ideas Of God's plan don't forget the Jews were God's people right so this is not fitting their understanding it's what they saw maybe was an optical illusion now let's see what happens when we we first meet Stephen by the way he is appointed as a servant a servant to wait on tables in the church I always find that to be amazing they took the requirements to be a servant waiting on tables included being full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So if you're going to seek out somebody to wait on tables, then it better be somebody who is full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now if you, at first you think, oh that's crazy, but then you start thinking about the tables. You know, maybe there is something to that. He is he this man apparently is not just waiting on tables. He is not just waiting on tables. He is rocking the Jewish world with miraculous power and words of wisdom. This servant, chosen. By the way, that's the meaning of the word deacon, is servant. I'm just going to toss that out so you know it. Uh, I wish they would translate it instead of transliterating it, and then we wouldn't have so many problems with people seeking like status out of being a deacon. It's all about service. That's all the point. Let's go to the, oh, excuse me, the Spirit-filled messenger, by the way, will enlighten the enemies of God's perfect plan by uncovering their link with the hypocrites of the, of the ages. It's kind of neat when you think about it, how, how the Word of God begins to open things up. He will, he will call in the person, the Spirit-filled messenger, will call them to respond to God's perfect plan of redemption. And forgiveness, and he will do it, risking personal loss and even possibly death. Let's look at Stephen in chapter six, beginning verse chapter, uh, verse um, excuse me, verse eight of chapter six. Of Book of Acts, verse eight. In the book, uh, Book of Acts, would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read together? I'm just going to ask you to stand. I, I know that we don't always do that, but I just. When we're listening to what God has to say, sometimes it's helpful to show that level of respect to what he has to say to us. Wouldn't you stand in a courtroom when the judge walks in? All right, let's, let's, let's read this. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable, they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their, eye, their gaze on him, All who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. We know that your word is truth. And Lord, we know that you have a plan. And sometimes uh, it's hard for us to see because we're looking at things from our perspective instead of yours. Lord, help us to see your truth that you've revealed to us in your word and help us respond accordingly in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. By the way, if you're wondering, that was the New American Standard version. So I've just so you, you're kind of like I know everybody around here like that. You know, that other version likes to read it, and I just want to be sure that we're you're okay with that. Uh, not sure that you're okay that you understand it. Okay. <laughs> Seeing with religious eyes turns people into enemies of God's plan. Now, wh- what did I just say? Seeing with religious eyes turns us into enemies of God's plan. You might think that we'd be here talking about being religious. Well, I'm going to say religious gets you into trouble. The people confronting Stephen in this passage are Jews, and they have a history of being thrust out of their homeland. These are people who have been out in the dispersion. They've, been, they've come back into Jerusalem, into Israel in order to, to return. Um, they, however, they, they have a, they, they, they've been there for a while now and they've set up these things called synagogues to worship in. They've kind of gathered around synagogues so that it relates to their own cultural experience. Now we know that the Jews were supposed to worship in the temple, but now even in Jerusalem we have, they had synagogues that were set up for worship purposes and for study and for learning. And this fit their cultural environment because that's what they were used to when they were in the dispersion. You had synagogues everywhere. So this is the kind of place they're, they're, uh, they're at. Uh, you know, one of the characteristics of these uh, individuals might at first surprise you. Their, their history of being scattered among the nations did not broaden their perspective. but rather narrowed it into almost a fundamentalist, uh, nationalistic kind of a, a perspective. Now you first think, well, that seems kind of weird since they've had the cosmopolitan experience of the rest of the world. But, I, but I've seen this myself when, when uh, people are, are of, of other nations land in a foreign land, that they tend to hold on tighter to their cultural beliefs than before. Just go to Brighton Beach area of New York City, and you'll see that in among the Russian, uh, the Russian peoples in that area. They actually, you talk to any Russian from Russia who comes over and sees them, say, boy, these people are behind. You know, but they're still living the same way they were living, uh, 50 or 100 years ago in Russia, they're living now today in the same manner. But in Russia, they've moved forward. They've joined at least the 20th century. I'm not sure the 21st, but they're getting there. All right? So there's, a, there's, a, there's that tendency to hold on to what life was like and what your, what your system was. This is the kind of people Stephen is running into. Um, I, th- these men could not handle... The wisdom and effect of the Holy Spirit's activity in Stephen's life. Uh, they, they couldn't deal with him on the basis of his actual teachings. Uh, therefore, what do we do when we can't handle somebody's argument? Well, they stooped to false arguments, false accusations. And so they began to say, hey, you know, this, these guys, uh, this guy here, he's, he's telling people to turn away and destroy. What God, what God has done, our great nation. And uh, they, they, they were not entirely unfounded, by the way. They were slanted to point out two areas of concern. Now keep in mind, they're using the same arguments. Think about it. Same arguments that were used against Jesus, right? Do you remember reading that in the Gospels? You know, they, they, if, they, when Jesus was there, they made the same kind of accusations. He said he would destroy the temple and in three days rebuild it, right? Same arguments. In fact, what does it say here? He says, it says that they were accusing him of, um, of that, and then they, uh, the other was speaking, oh yeah, speaking against the law. So the two things we need to look at, is the law of Moses, specifically against Moses. They, 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 first of all, that's what they did. They accused him of speaking blasphemous words against Moses. Now, the Jews would definitely consider this attack, an attack against the law. You know he's speaking against Moses. He's speaking against the law, and that's their po- 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 their point. Uh, they're speaking against their religious customs. They also accuse him of blasphemy against God, for they link they, these Jews would link the temple with God Himself. In essence, without fanfare, they had shifted their loyalties. These Jews had shifted their loyalties from. The living God to some earthly symbols. We could run that risk ourselves, couldn't we? We could take earthly symbols and lift them and exalt them above the living God. We could lift earthly ideas above the person of Jesus Christ. So we need to be careful about that. These distortions are not new to the Jews, and as as we will see later. (laughs) uh, They're not even unusual to people you talk to. People make these distortions all the time. Or maybe you have actually made these distortions and captured something of this earth instead of something that is truly heavenly. However, Stephen is more than up to the challenge. And I I love this passage. I love Stephen. Uh, He's a great person in the Scriptures. In verse 15, look what he says. verse 15, it says, And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. We've got the Sanhedrin. As Jewish religious leaders. And they're just gazing at him. Hit that picture, don't you? He's just like looking right into his eyes. And it says, this is not what you would expect from some man on trial. He looks like the face of an angel. Now, what are you picturing in your mind? Now, first, I want to tell you something. I don't think this is a miraculous transformation or a transfiguration, it's not like Jesus on that mountain when he totally became white and bright and blinded the, uh, the uh, disciples, the three that were with him at that point. That's not what's taking place here. It doesn't look like that, because I think that would have blown them away right then and there. It is bugging them, though. More likely, they see Stephen's excitement and confidence to address this antagonistic body with the evidence he possesses. Think about it. When you're in an argument with somebody and they happen to know the truth, have you ever noticed how cocky and confident they are? I'm not cocky, but they, I mean, it's like they just have that look on their face like, okay, give me your argument and then we'll talk. You know, and, uh, and they just seem, so, they're like chomping at the bits to talk to you about it. But they're waiting you to take your turn because if they get to go last, they know they're going to settle the whole issue. I believe that's what Stephen is doing right now. I think he's just bright. He's cheerful. He's excited about this opportunity to show them the truth and give them that evidence. Now, this is going to be the fastest that you have ever gone through chapter 7, okay, of the book of Acts. I just want you to understand that um, because either that or we're going to be here all night. Um, So we're going to go with the first option, all right? Amen. (laughs) I hear that. Um, I hear that. You, but now, my hope is by the time we're done, you'll be so your interest will be so piqued that you're going to go back home tonight or tomorrow or your best opportunity and go back through and study some of these details. Amen. All right. But this is this is this is not for us to kind of. I'm not going to give give you everything. All right. I'm not going to spoon feed you anyway. It's not worth it. You need to you need to dig yourself. But I want you I want you to know with open eyes. People have the opportunity to turn from resistance to God's plan. The whole point is repentance here. That's what, what Stephen is really going to look for. He is not here to nail these religious leaders to the wall. He doesn't want to put them on a cross. He wants to help them see the truth and understand the truth and respond to the truth. And perhaps, uh, curious or amazed, look at verse 1. I love it. I love it. Now, they're looking at Stephen, his, his face it's like that of an angel. He's got all this confidence. He's ready. He's ready to go. He's got a grin on his face. If I was being accused, would I have a grin on my face if I'd done something wrong? No. But he's excited. He's looking at it. He's kind of like, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And the, and the high priest, verse 1, said, are these things so? Are these things, are these things they're accusing you of? Are they so? And Stephen's ready. The floor has been given to Stephen. I love it. Because look what happens. Stephen proceeds to talk them through four major patriarchs. Now, w- would that we knew our scriptures so well. Wouldn't that be neat? If when somebody challenged us, we could walk them through the patriarchs. Now, I love the song we sing. It's a psalm you read earlier. I think the song. And, uh, you know, that the generation to generation. It's so perfect for this is what's taking place here. Um, he, he goes through Abraham, Joseph, Moses. And I put David and Solomon together in my four because it's really, they kind of like, they're together in, in what's taking place. Um, then he culminates his whole argument with Jesus. You got to be amazed. He preached a shorter sermon than you all ever heard here in this place. And he got his point across. I, I always think that. Find that amazing. I can't do it. Um, Abraham. Let's start with Abraham. Um, Abraham received the original promises. He tells them. And by the way, all these Jewish leaders that he's talking to—they already know all this. It's all known. And you may be sitting here, Tim. I already know all this stuff. Good. Good. You should. I'm just wanting you to put it together in a way that it's functional for understanding how. God is dealing with you and how God is going to deal with people through you. Let's look at this. Um, the promises were given, really, multitude of, uh, multiple times while there was no son for fulfillment. Now, he's making this point. You know, Abraham received the promise, but he did not know how that was going to be fulfilled. And even we know Abraham kind of messed up every now and then and uh, that's why we have this other person called Ishmael, okay? But, but still, he's, he's still on board. He's, the promise is still true, and he said, you know, so the promise itself has a strange and unexpected twist, according to Stephen, and it's not just according to Stephen. That's true in the Bible, in the, I mean, the Old Testament. He says, Abraham's descendants would spend 400 years in captivity and be mistreated as aliens. Now, Folks, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like much of a promise to me. It's like, okay, this is cool. I'm going to make a nation out of you. And by the way, you're going to be slaves for 400 years. Could we kind of like just maybe just have a few people and no slaves? You know, that's my option. I'm not. That's just the way I look at things. But, but, you know, it doesn't matter. If he goes on, he says, God will judge the offending nation and bring his people out to serve him in what would be known as Jerusalem. Now, why do I throw the Jerusalem in there? It's because that's where they're standing, and that's where these people are. Say, so right now, everybody's on board. All of these, these the, the Sanhedrin, they're like, Yep, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's true. And then he goes on, and he brings it to the next step. And, uh, and now we're moving into more about the patriarchs. But Joseph is the guy who's coming on the scene. Now, there are 12. Remember, there are 12 patriarchs. 12. See 12? Oh, that's because you're not counting on my toes, okay? But there, there are 12 patriarchs. And this, and, but Joseph, being one of those, comes on the scene. And we know Joseph is significant. Joseph, uh, with his 11 brothers which do not deserve anything but an honorable mention at this point, Uh, but Joseph with his 11 brothers, all patriarchs. Stephen emphasizes this, that these patriarchs were what? Jealous. These patriarchs, by the way, you can find this in verse 9, the patriarchs, what is it, became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God, yet God was with him. See, Stephen's emphasizing that these patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, but God chose him to deliver his people from the famine by moving him ahead of time to Egypt. It was God's plan. They, the patriarchs, the other 11, rejected him. God's chosen one, he rejected. All right, so this is what's taking place. His people, uh, Joseph, was given favor and wisdom. The fathers, the fathers, the others, could find no food. Joseph had everything. They had nothing. It wasn't the understanding of the leaders. It was a rejection. Two things to note here. The brothers meant to eliminate Joseph. (laughs) They had no intention of him surviving. They wanted to kill him and decided, well, killing him is not a good idea. But But they were instead delivered by him. Remember, Joseph said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, for you, for you. And uh, secondly, Joseph, like Stephen, was characterized as a man of grace and wisdom, verse 10. From Joseph to Moses, things got worse, right? They just kept getting worse. Now we're entering into our 400 years of trouble, Um. In fact, by the time Moses was fished out of the river, few, if any, had any understanding, any belief that God even cared or noticed that the Jews were there. I'm sorry, the Israelites. They weren't Jews yet. The Israelites. It seems that they, too, had forgotten God. Oh, they're crying out, they're moaning and groaning, like we do when things aren't going right, but they had they, forgotten who God is They'd forgotten their calling. Moses' life now is divided into forties. <laughs> I'm just doing saying this so that you can kind of get a feel for this. For the first forty years of his life, we're, it was, he was dedi, we're dedicated to his education and growth in Egypt as one of Pharaoh's household. Forty years. I've, I've told Mike this. It just bugs me sometimes. I think I told you as well, didn't I? It just bugs me. All those years before God does something. <laughs> You know, I'm just the most impatient person. We are, aren't we? We're all impatient people. Forty years he had to wait. And so, 40 years, first 40 years he's learning, he's growing, he's getting all this education. The second 40 years he spends on the backside of the wilderness. Oh, now that's better. Forty more years. Learning to patiently raise sheep and survive in the desert. And then... The final 40 years here are mentioned as evidence that the Hebrews had a tendency to turn away from God at the slightest sign of trouble. (laughs) They were going to go in, promised land. Send out the 12 spies, they come back. You know the song, 10 were bad, 2 were good. Ten were bad, two were good. You know, anyway, something like that. I can't ever do it right, because that's why I never work with children. You know, it's just like I can't do the songs. Uh, and they don't go. Forty more years in the wilderness. They had to spend, the, you know, so it's just like poor Moses. The people turned against God's plan. These are the descendants of the patriarchs. David wanted to build a house for God, but Solomon built it. Now, it seems funny, with God's permission. However, in a direct indictment against the religious leaders, Stephen reminds them that God does not live in houses made by men. God let... Solomon built the temple, but even at the time it was built and God came down and talked about dwelling there, he reminded him. And Solomon himself said, we know God does not live in houses made by men, but God, anyway, have your eyes on this place. Have your eyes here when we pray. And this is a direct indictment against the, the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders of this day. It's a direct indictment because their problem. Remember they accused him. What do they accuse him of? You're going to destroy this temple and rebuild it? You're going to hit the law of Moses? The author of the law, basically the writer of the law is Moses? No. It isn't Moses and it isn't the temple. It's the eternal God that cannot be put into a house. Or let me be very cautious in saying this, or into a book. Now, don't don't call me a heretic. John said, even if all of the works that Jesus did were written down, all the books of the world could not contain them. Right? Okay? So God is greater than his book. It is his book. This is how we know about it. It's his revealed word. It was God's temple. He designed it. But don't think that what Stephen's doing is lost on the Sanhedrin. Stephen just reversed the trial. Can you believe it? One man, just a regular guy, just turned the tables. He, in essence, said, I'm not on trial here. You are. I'm amazed at this wisdom and spirit of this man. Stephen shifts from describing the Jewish pattern of resisting and rejecting God's appointed leaders to to the second person in verse 50. (laughs) There's so much I would have liked to have detailed out for you here, but look at verse 50. He says, Was it not my hand, which made all these things. And then verse 51, I should have put 51. And he says, you men, (laughs) you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. That's why he put all this down. He's kind of drawing them in and he's showing them. This is the way you've always responded. You're just like your fathers. You always respond this way. They may have external evidence of their supposed religion, but they lack the heart and hearing of a true follower of God. Stephen emphasizes that they are always resisting the Holy Spirit, they are always pushing and striving against the Holy Spirit. Stephen mirrors Peter's earlier sermon. He said, said, the prophets were announcing the coming of the righteous one while these men are following in their father's footsteps, killing not only the prophets, but Jesus the Christ himself. It didn't have to end this way. Stephen made it clear that God's way has always been to select unlikely leaders to face inconceivable odds. That's always encouraging to me. I'm an unlikely person, often suffering, by the way. That's not encouraging. I'm often suffering at the hands of the very people who should have received them with gladness and open arms. Here, here was their chance to repent. They didn't. They didn't. Now, I'm always wondering. I was wondering, even today, as I was rethinking about this message, I was thinking, did some of them? Did some of them repent? And I almost, here's my thought. I think Somebody did. I think that's why we have so many details of this count. I think somebody did. Maybe it was Paul. Maybe, right? But eyes on Christ bring redemption and forgiveness with the, with the confidence in suffering. In verse 55 through 60, as we, this is the last section we're going to deal with. Verse 54, he says, When they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Don't you love it? We're not in a very good setting here. Uh, Jesus actually faced that in his hometown. Much the same kind of response. But, verse 55, Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at Him with one impulse. When they had driven Him out of the city, they began stoning Him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, "The Lord, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Then, falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. You know, in chapter 6, you remember we saw the Sanhedrin gazing, looking intently at Stephen. Saw his face like a face of an angel. That is, that full confidence and joy in knowing what he was about to share. And here's what he gets to gaze at. He is doing the gazing, but he's not gazing at them. No need. Now he is gazing. He, is, he has fixed his, his eyes on Jesus. He has fixed his eyes on Jesus. It's not about man in this case it's about him and he's looking up there's jesus at the right hand of the father a posture by the way of judgment it's a posture of judgment he's standing at the right hand of the father and jesus is now in a posture of judgment but it's not a judgment against stephen is it it wouldn't have been a good good time for him if it was and he's not judged For in John 3, we are told that he who believes in him is not judged, period. He who believes in him is not judged, and it goes on to say, and he who does not believe has been judged already. Who didn't believe? The Sanhedrin. They did not believe. Their judgment resulted in an angry mob Stoning an innocent man. Yet Stephen has the last word. Stephen, they're going to live on, but Stephen had the last word. He ends his life with words similar to Jesus' words. When he was crucified, he said, Receive my spirit, and Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And even though they rejected, even though they rejected to the point of an illegal trial and an execution, Stephen holds out the hope for their repentance and forgiveness. (laughs) I can't help but marvel at the love that God put in Stephen for these men. And I have to believe Well, first of all, I believe this is true power. You know, we talk about being filled with power from the Holy Spirit. This is true power. (laughs) How could you, in the middle of being stoned, I mean, we're talking about big old rocks banging against your head, and say something like this. It's true power. It's true love. It's true grace. (laughs) This is the plan of God. This is the plan of God. You may be here, by the way, have a form of religion. I don't know where. I, some of you, I don't know your backgrounds. Most of you, I do know something about you. That's scary. You should not like that. But, uh, you know, some of you might have really a form of religion. It may even be the same religion, same kind of. You may, it may be based on our, our common faith in a church and a place where we worship and share. Maybe even some theological tenets. These guys, by the way, they were good theologians. They were just wrong in the basic and bottom line interpretation. And today you may be here and you may realize that you don't really know God because you're looking at it as you're looking at things as if it's a it's a uh, darn Brain just lost it, an illusion. <laughs> um, I want to encourage you today not to respond like the Sanhedrin and walk away just saying, i got preconceived ideas and it's not about grace like that. I've got to earn some of, my, some of my way to get there. I want you to get rid of the preconceived ideas that, that makes you reject all that Jesus did for you and try to somehow come around yourself. I want you to get rid of your preconceived ideas and reject symbols. I don't say reject the Lord's table, but don't believe that that is going to save you. That is a symbol that you are saved. Big difference. Big difference. Um... I you think, you may be here of having rejected God's plan for you or chose, and chosen your own plan for your life. That happens. Who are the unlikely messengers in your life? Has some come to you and you said, I don't like that person. The color of their skin, the language they speak, the, the accent they have. I don't like that person. They, they come from a different denomination than I grew up in. Who are the messengers you're rejecting that are causing you to miss what God is doing in your life, I better watch out. You may prefer things of your own creation to God's provision in Christ. That's easy to do. Like my job, I do good works, I help people, I give to the poor, whatever it is. Good things, but do you really? Is it really good? Buildings, you know, <laughs> we don't have to worry too much about buildings because we don't have one. But we do tend to put faith in buildings, nice comfortable seating, other things like that that say this is our creation, but are we really resting on Christ? And finally, some of you may need to just take a bold step and witness. You, know, you have the same Holy Spirit as Stephen, by the way. <laughs> You're a follower of Christ, you do. You have the same grace, and you can exercise the same wisdom. Stephen was just a normal guy that was chosen to wait on tables. Are you any worse off? Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for those who are here tonight. Lord, just pray that we would um, respond to your word, respond to the truth here, respond and be more like Stephen than than the the, uh, Sanhedrin. Lord, we ask that you yourself would be Lord of our lives. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that needs to respond to you in that regard, to give their life to you, to turn their selves over, and accept the grace, the gift that only you can provide, I just pray that tonight they will understand and make that decision. Just pray these things in Jesus' name.